Jesus is all the world to me. I want no better friend. I trust him now. I'll trust him when life's fleeting days shall end. Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. Eternal Son of God, we're talking about here in this hymn. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. That's the beautiful life that has no end. Eternal life, eternal joy is how this first uh, stanza ends. Eternal life, eternal joy. He's my friend. Welcome, everyone, to the Pearls of Biblical Wisdom podcast ministry. Our focus today is going to be on the subject matter of eternal life. It's taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29, when the lawyer came to Jesus and asked a question about eternal life. And then in response to that interaction, the Lord Jesus gave the Good Samaritan account. And God willing, uh, not only are we doing this podcast from Luke 10, we're going to do another podcast on the Good Samaritan in the near future. So uh, back to back in Luke 10, first the part about the lawyer and his desire of his question to have eternal life and then the uh, account of the Good Samaritan. And Stephen Fessler is here with me today and I've asked him to read the, the scripture out of Luke 10, 25 to 29. And after he's done reading the scripture, I'm going to allow him to share a little bit of uh, biographical information with you. I've known Stephen a long time. I was his pastor since 1999, and he used to come regular on Thursday nights to a men's Bible study that we had. Had lots of wonderful, encouraging, uplifting fellowship and prayer times together. God's done quite a few miracles in his life over the years. I'm so thankful to the Lord to be able to do this podcast with him and I'm going to let him read the scripture and share a little bit with you. So, Stephen, welcome. Welcome. Thank, thanks for having me, Pastor. You're welcome. Um, yeah, Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Amen. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we're trusting that uh, possibly even through this podcast, if somebody does not know salvation or have everlasting life, or maybe somebody struggling with assurance of their salvation, uh, we've spent quite a bit of time in prayer just now asking for the Lord's blessing so that every person that might possibly listen to this podcast would know for sure they have everlasting life. So Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah. So um, like Pastor said, I've, I've been at church with Pastor for since I was a child. Went to a men's meeting for almost 10 years until I got married. And uh, now yeah, I'm married. My, my wife's from India and we have one daughter who's just turned one. And they're actually visiting her family in India right now. So I'm uh, back to that bachelor in life for right now. But yeah, it's, it's been great. Yeah, we've been married three years. So during COVID, that allowed me to slow down with work and really spend time as newlyweds together. So that was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, and the miracles that God did just to get her over here so the wedding could take place and all the paperwork you had to go through, all the times we <laughs> yep. we spent a lot of time in prayer about all that paperwork and the letters we had to write. Uh, yep. God did some miracles uh, for that wedding, and uh, to see the the joy now of what God's doing in your family, uh, Stephen, it's very exciting to see that. Yep. So we have three points we're going to cover here: the law of God and understanding eternal life, heart issues and eternal life eternal life and the scriptures, and then if time allows, we're going to have eternal life and pride. So there's actually four points here. So let's talk first of all about the law of God and understanding eternal life. The lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said, well, what do you read in the prophets. No, he didn't say the prophets. He said, what do you read in the law? He could have sent him to the prophets because the Old Testament is the law and the prophets. But he sent him to the law. And the purpose of God's law is not to show us what we need to do to be saved. The purpose of God's law is to show us our sin, our need for a Savior. And through Jesus Christ, the only Savior, there is to save us from sin. When Paul wrote Romans, he spent three chapters, the first three chapters of Romans, explaining that every person is a sinner. By the time he got to chapter 3, verse 23, he said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including the lawyer or any other person of humanity. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so purpose of the law, Paul said after three chapters, he says, therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified because it's by the law that God reveals our sin to us. It's through the law that we see the sinfulness, the greatness of our sin against God. So I want to talk about the curse of the law just so we can get some understanding of this. Galatians 3.10 says, As many as are trying to be saved by the works of the law, that could be that lawyer that was trying to be saved by the works of the law. It could be religious people that think by their religious activity. Uh, they could be saved through their, their own doing, their own works, their own effort. For as many as are of the works of the law, that is, trying to use the law to be saved, they're under a curse. Now, why are they under a curse? Well, let me uh, introduce it this way. If I was a farmer and I had a tractor hooked up to a wagon with a chain, and I was trying to pull that wagon out to a certain location in the field, 
as you know, there's links in the chain. How many of those links would have to break? It would break down me being able to pull the trailer with the tractor. It wouldn't take but one link in that chain breaking, and I wouldn't be able to pull the trailer anymore. Well, listen to what Galatians 3.10 says. I'm going to read it again. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone. If you're going to be saved by keeping the law, it says, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law. So unless you can keep perfectly all things written in the law, which none of us can do, we're under a curse. It only takes one sin. The wages of sin is death. Just one break in the link of the chain is death. Not, not just physical death, but spiritual death. It separates us from a relationship with God. In John 17, the Lord talks about this is eternal life. In John 17, when he was praying the high priestly prayer, he said, this is eternal life that we might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Having eternal life is about having a relationship with God, but we can't have a relationship with God if we don't confess our sin and see our need of a Savior. And so the purpose of God giving the law was to show us how great our sin is, and it's impossible for us to ever be right with God to have a relationship with God by the law. Let me give you another illustration. Let's suppose uh, we got two people, and one of them uh, uh, puts in his body a whole glass of poison, and another person puts in their body one drop of poison, and they both die. What difference does it make if you died drinking the whole glass of poison or you just had one drop of poison? Mm, yeah. One drop is deadly. Do you have any thoughts on that, Stephen? Yeah, like Ecclesiastes says a, a live dog is better than a dead lion, so whoever dies, once you're dead, you're all, you're all the same. Yeah, it only takes one sin to separate us from God. I mean, how many sins did Adam and Eve sin? In the garden, it was just one. And God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you shall die. And that's exactly what happened. So let's talk about the crush of the law. Here's what Jesus said to the uh, lawyer. He said, well, what do you read in the law? What does the law say? And the lawyer said, well, the law says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now that should have been something that crushed him because none of us can love God that way humanly apart from the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus Christ. None of us can love other people that way apart from the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus Christ. In the Bible it says, I can do all things in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But without Jesus Christ, like he said in John 15, he said, make sure you understand this. I'm the vine and you're the branches. 
Apart from me, you can't bear any fruit in your life, any goodness in your life, any righteousness in your life. We have to be, we have to see the necessity of being born again, being regenerated. Let me uh, quote Titus 3, 5 to you. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. See, that was the lawyer's mindset. He was just saying, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And what does the Bible say? All the way through, and not just in one place, many places in the Bible. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, God saved us. Now listen carefully. By the washing of regeneration. Regeneration means we must be born again. We've already been born physically. But in John chapter 3, and if you're, if you're listening to this uh, podcast and you don't understand what it means to be born again and the necessity of being born again, we'd encourage you to go to John chapter 3 because the Lord was explaining in detail to Nicodemus, you must be born again to have salvation. You must be born again to have eternal life. You must be born again to be righteous before God. You must be born again to overcome sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that is, Christ has come to live inside of me by the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence of Christ's life being inside of me. That's why it says in John 3, you must be born of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again of the Holy Spirit so the life of Jesus Christ now can be made manifest in your life. And so the necessity of regeneration, uh, until we have Christ in us, Christ living inside of us, we cannot produce the righteousness that's acceptable to God. We must be born again. So 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold the wonder of it all. I'm a new creature in Christ. And now I can live, overcome sin. Now I can have a right relationship with God. My past sin is not a hindrance of being forgiven because Jesus Christ through his precious blood atonement made it possible for my sins to be forgiven. He was the just suffering for the unjust. And it was a substitutionary atonement. It it should have been us that died on the cross, but he died in our place. And what does Galatians 2.20 say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not me living now. What does it say? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's only been one person that has ever perfectly lived their life in a way perfectly pleasing to God the Father, and it's Jesus Christ. Over and over again in the Gospels, you'll read, I do always those things which please the Father. I do always those things which please the Father. When the Lord Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's the life of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. For instance, when we put on the whole armor of God, you remember Stephen, uh, the breastplate 
what is that? Remember what the breastplate is? Yeah, the righteousness. The righteousness. <clears throat> when we put on that breastplate of righteousness so the devil's darts can't shoot us right in the heart, the devil wants to condemn us. He wants to accuse us. He wants us to think there's no way you can be made right, right with God. There's no way you can overcome sin. There's no way your sins can be forgiven. You've sinned too much. There's no way you could ever get back to God now. Well, we put on the breastplate of righteousness, and it's not our righteousness we're putting on. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that armor is actually us dressing in the life of Jesus Christ when we put it on. Mm-hmm. So, so we're talking about the crush of the law, and most people don't, they don't understand the crush of the law as far as the greatness of our sin against God. Let me illustrate it this way. If I went downtown and parked in a place I shouldn't park and I got a ticket, parking ticket violation, I went downtown and paid a $25 fine, it'd be like a slap on the wrist, no big deal. But suppose my car had brake issues and I knew it had, my brakes were malfunctioning and I neglected it and neglected it and neglected it and they were coming, becoming worse and worse, not functioning properly. And I went downtown, and I went to hit my brakes, and my brakes wouldn't stop the car. And I ran into a gas pipe, and the gas pipe came loose. And let's say 50 people died. 50 people died because of my negligence of not taking care of my brakes. Now I'm facing not just a slap on the wrist as far as breaking the law. I'm facing a big crushing weight and load of me being responsible for 20 people die from lethal gas that came their way because of my irresponsibility. And that would just be one violation of the law. God tells us you know, the reason why he gave the law in Romans 7, he tells us that we might see the exceeding sinfulness of how we've broken the law. For instance, in James one little word that comes out of your uh, mouth can be like one match starting an entire forest fire. It says the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil. It says if any man is able to tame his tongue, he's able to bridle the rest of his body from evil doings. So if the only charges God had against us was our words and our tongue. There's enough evidence against us that we're sinners in this world just by what words come out of our mouth. I mean, everybody would say, I wish I could put it back in my mouth. I wish I hadn't have said that. I shouldn't have, I was prideful when I said that. I was arrogant when I said that. I was mean. I was hateful. I was selfish. Every one of us knows we're guilty of uh, breaking God's law many, many, many times with our words. Sometimes we're guilty of it with just murmuring it and other people not hearing it. Sometimes we're guilty of it thinking it in our mind and we don't even murmur it, it's in our mind. That should crush every one of us to let us know we need a Savior, just our words alone. Yep. Amen? Amen, yeah. So so basically what are we trying to say? We're trying to say... The lawyer thought he could be saved by keeping the law, but it's impossible to be saved by keeping the law. 
the law points us in, in Galatians. It says the lo- the law is a schoolmaster. You remember what it says, Stephen? Yep. What, the lawmaster is a schoolmaster to point us to who? To Christ. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I do remember. Yeah. So whenever we come to the law, we shouldn't be saying, what do I need to do to be saved by keeping the law? We should be saying like the man in the temple, the publican in the temple who understand the, he understood the crush of his sin. He, he fell prostrate on the ground. He wouldn't even get near the temple area. He fell prostrate on the ground. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up towards heaven. And he simply said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. It reminds me of the song that's so popular, the hymn, When You Come to Christ for Salvation, Just As I Am Without One Plea. That publican knew he didn't have any plea of his own righteousness. He needed God to save him from his sin by God's mercy. Now, the other man in that temple was like the lawyer. He said, I thank you, God, that I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I'm better than other men. And I guarantee anybody that's uh, got confidence in self-righteousness, it will lead you to having a critical spirit of others. He said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. Well, what was he saying? I'm better than other men. Well, the right view is Paul said when he got saved, he, he said, look, I'm the chief of sinners. Every one of us should say that. Amen, Stephen? Yeah, amen. And we should all say we're the chief of sinners and not, we're, none of us is better than anybody else. So I asked Stephen to share his testimony on this point. You know, it's good to hear somebody's testimony of how they got saved. And so he's going to take time to share his testimony with you now. Yeah, it was uh, back in college, and, you know, when you're young and in school, you, you have your whole life ahead of you, and everything's promising, whether it's good or bad, you don't, you're kind of in a bubble, just following after what you like to do, what you enjoy, and that's fine, too, but, but eventually, that runs out, and those things kind of fade away, whatever desires you're pursuing, I didn't really have any spiritual interest in things. And I guess some of this is in points two and three. That's why I'm not getting into too much detail now, but later on in the podcast. But I think what you read in Titus 3, 5, according to his mercy, he saved us. I was not looking for God when God brought other Christian guys into my life. I recognize, I think the Lord was trying to get a hold of my heart through them. And not that they were preaching at me, but just little hints and just seeing how they lived their life. They weren't going out partying. They weren't proud. They're really humble. And I was attracted to that when I started uh, coming to the men's meeting with Pastor. I want to read uh, again the 1025. Stephen read this earlier. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now notice it says he tempted him. The real motive here for the lawyer in some way to try to entrap Jesus, have some evidence against Jesus. So he's got a motive uh, problem here. And really, that's one of the biggest things as far as us getting saved. 
so much of our sinfulness, it goes back to our motives. That's why it says in Hebrews, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces when we read the Bible and uh, we're focused on what the truth of the Bible is. It pierces to the dividing asunder of our soul and our spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intent of our heart. And so the Lord was reading the intent of this man's heart. And Stephen's going to have something to say about that later uh, as far as issues of pride. But my point here is uh, not only do we have sin in action, we have sin in motive, we have sin in attitude. And the problem with a person like the lawyer, they can appear to be righteous before men outwardly, but none of that righteousness be sincere inwardly. And that's why the Bible says, be careful, man looks on the outward appearance. But what does God look on? God looks on the heart. So uh, Stephen's going to be sharing some thoughts about heart issues on this point we're on right now. Jesus said that I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Well, we're talking about eternal life. We're not just talking about life in this world. And the reason why I wanted to read that verse again, there's a word in that verse that probably most of us, it didn't register. And it's the word behold. Let me read it again. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up. That word behold in the New Testament is mentioned about 222 times, a lot of times in the Gospels. And it's connected with the majesty of who Christ is, the glory of who Christ is, the wonder of who Christ is, and the way he gets down to the motive of a person's heart, the mm -hmm. intent of a person's heart. He was God manifest in the flesh, and he saw past the hypocrisy. He saw past the self-righteousness of appearance on the outward. He was able, they kept bringing questions to him to try to entrap him, and he put it right back on them, and they got caught in their own trap. I could give you many illustrations of that. So he, this lawyer was seeking to justify himself. He was trying to find a place to hide his sin, cover his sin. You know what the Bible says? If we cover our sin, if we cover our sin, we will not prosper. But uh, if we confess it to God and forsake it, God's going to show mercy. That's what happened with the publican in the temple. And by the way, the woman at the well, she was evasive just like this lawyer. Uh, the Lord point blank addressed mm -hmm. this lawyer to, to cause him to see his sin. And he was seeking to justify him, him, himself. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? And, you know, he made excuses. Instead of being convicted of his sin, he made excuses and tried to redirect it to a different uh, uh, line of questioning. And that's why the Lord gave the Good Samaritan account, which we're going to have another podcast on. But the woman at the well, was she was evasive at first. When Jesus said to the woman, and by the way, John chapter 4, I mentioned John 3, you must be born again. If you want to understand eternal life and salvation, read John 4 also. Because the woman at the well got saved in John chapter 4. She came to 
understand how to have eternal life. And when Jesus was speaking to her, he uh, asked her, well, where go call your husband. And she was evasive at first because she said, well, I don't have a husband. But the Lord knew that it was more than that. She had had multiple husbands, and the person that she was living with at the moment was not her husband. And so God, through uh, what Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, was doing was causing her to look at her sin. In order to drink of the living water that Jesus was offering to her, she had to confess her sin. And we know she did because she went into the city and she wanted other people to come to know this Savior and the forgiveness of sin. And they went out there and many of them believed Jesus. And they said, we believe in salvation through him, not because of what you testified only. We heard him ourselves, and he knows our heart. He knows how to get to what's really going on in our heart. So, Stephen, what is it about these heart issues? Well, I always go back to is the heart is where your desires and pleasures live, the seat of your desires and pleasures. And I remember when you reflect on yourself, you have to ask yourself, well, what do I take the most pleasure in in life? And, and I think most people, until they think through that, they really don't know. You, it's hard to, because so many things get hidden in the heart. And when I first came across that thought that I was in college, you know, having grown up, going to church and um, even having a lot of interest in the Lord when I was younger, but it was more of a mental interest. And I was pretty apathetic about anything on spiritual things by the time I finished high school. So there really wasn't any desire for God in my heart. And so what, what do you do when you finally can throw off God because you're not interested in him? Well, you, you do whatever you want to in your heart. Those pleasures start coming out in your heart and mm. not bad things. Um, mm-hmm. For me, you know, in school, it was mainly studying hard, get good grades at Clemson. And then you tend to enjoy the things you're good at. So, you know, I got involved with the running club there and would run with them. And, you know, being able to run seven or eight miles and have a healthy, strong body and not feel too tired. I take a lot of joy and pleasure in that. Again, not a bad thing. And then spending time with my friends, partying, drinking with them, having good times with them, and kind of the work hard party. But those are what I took joy and pleasure in. It gave satisfaction and excitement, at least for a while. And after a few years of that, by junior year, Realizing that relationships that are just involved with either work or partying, you know, they become superficial and and there's not genuine love there or care for one another there. And I see that even at work sometimes. There's a superficiality in those relationships because, again, it's it's not about loving others, but it's kind of just seeking what's best for yourself and taking pleasure in your own life. And it's shallow. And so I, I ran across, you know, some messages my junior year. And the theme of those messages was this. Uh, it really got me thinking about life from a completely different way. A quote by Henry Scrugel, who was from the late 1600s. And he said, the worth of a soul is determined by the object of its love. Mm. So your worth as a human mm. 
is only as much as the object you love. Hmm. So if that's money, well, your life is kind of superficial because money is superficial. If it's your wife, you know, she's an object or if you're a girl and it's your husband, he's an object to you. Or if it's your knowledge, you know, for me, I, I love learning, getting good grades. So the object, the knowledge, that's valuable. So the worth of my soul, where my, that pleasure is coming in that heart. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's the value of my heart is tied back to the object that I'm putting it my affection and love on. Mm. So that knowledge, when it goes away, when I get old, I'm, I'm left without any value and worth. And, you know, you could say that's a selfish way of thinking about it, but then you turn it on to God. The worth of God's soul is determined by the object of God's love. Well, mm. we would know theologically, well, God's soul must be infinitely worthy. But what does he love? He, well, he loves his glory. And the perfect way to show his glory is his son, Jesus, reflecting that glory perfectly back to him mm. as a mirror image. And so what gives God so much eternal worth is his great joy in himself, his glory and his son. He delights in perfectly because his son perfectly reflects that back to the father. And when I heard that, it took me a few months to digest that Mm. way of thinking. It's not about what I accomplish or do in life, Mm. but it's about what I delight and take pleasure and joy in. Mm. And, you know, there's degrees of pleasure and joy out of your heart, you know, being able to run well, being able to learn and do well in school, having good times with your friends. It's not bad in and of itself, but when that's all you have, and that's an, an idol to you, you have more pleasure. I mean, high degree of pleasure and joy in that more than God. And then more than even your own family or neighbors. And that's when it becomes an idol and sin. So then I thought, well, the knowledge will leave when I get old. <laughs> the degree will become useless when I get old and retire. Mm. The friends, they're going to go on. They're going to forget these good moments, having fun together, drinking. And the running, well, your body gets old and wears out. And mm. what are you left with in your death? Well, really nothing. But the Lord's glory will continue to go from one generation to the next. And he will continue to delight, to delight in his glory through the succeeding generations. And so the thought was, the best thing I can do in my life is instead of finding my greatest joys and pleasures and those temporal things, to put that on to God's glory, Jesus' glory. Um, so that all has to do with your heart. And many times the heart is wicked and deceitful. You don't know what's in there. Mm. And so where you have to start is asking, Lord, I don't even know what I take joy in, mm. what I'm even motiva- motivated to live for in life. Mm. Just show it to me. You know, God has to dig that out and uncover it so you can see it clearly. Because it's not its not quick. It's not obvious and, until you chew through this, pray through it for the Lord to show you your heart. Mm. Amen. Amen. That brings me back again to that word, behold, just listening to uh, Stephen share these thoughts. I've already mentioned about the majesty and the glory and the wonder of who Christ is in the word behold. But we also need to hit the pause button in our life. The reason being is we're so taken up with the temporal. Mm -hmm. How much time 
How much effort, how much energy, how much thought, how much attention do I give to eternity? Remember the lawyer's question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, not only is there eternal life, there's an eternal existence after death that does not have life. Jesus said in John 5, verses 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves, mm-hmm. notice what it says, it doesn't just say Christian people, it mm-hmm. says all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, the incarnate Son of God, resurrected from the dead, and that's why you have eternal life through Christ. He's resurrected from the dead never to die again. He died for your sin once and for all, and once you have him living inside of you, he gives you the gift of eternal life because he's alive from the dead never to die again, and he now lives inside of you. It's Christ who gives us life. It's Christ who gives us eternal life through him. But notice, John 5, 28, this is what Jesus said, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice, that is Jesus' voice. Some will come forth to the resurrection of life. That would be eternal life. And some will come forth to a resurrection of damnation, the King James says. Uh, I would say separation from God eternally is what damnation is. Right now, you can be separated from God, and if you believe on Him right now in this life, you can receive everlasting life. But if you die without Christ as your Savior, and you step into eternity at the judgment, when you're going to be resurrected from the grave, and we're all going to stand before God at the judgment, you don't get a chance at that point to believe. And the Bible calls this the second death. The second death. In Revelation, it talks about the second death. The first death is when Adam and Eve sinned. And remember, God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you shall die. Well, they didn't die immediately that day physically, but their relationship with God died that day. Because when God came to the garden, they went running, they went hiding, They were covering, they were blaming, they were making excuses about their sin, blaming others. Uh, They they died spiritually in their relationship with God. They were afraid of God. Before that, they were looking forward to the time with God in the garden. But when God came after they sinned, they were running from him, hiding from him. They were guilty. They were naked before God as far as their sin. And, you know, they tried to cover that nakedness, and there's various ways that people try to cover their nakedness of their sin. But God was not pleased with their covering. God made a covering that required the shedding of blood. Now, this is very important. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, and we're talking about the blood of the Lamb of God. We're talking about the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who was perfectly God and perfectly man and never one time sinned. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, that is the Son of God's precious blood, 1 Peter calls it precious blood, 
holy blood, no sinfulness in him. He died for our sin. In Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus Christ made it possible for us to have eternal life, uh, eternal relationship with God. We can have it now in this life, but more importantly, please take that word behold. Hit the pause button in your life. Think about eternity. Are you ready to step into eternity? Are you sure that you have a relationship with God? Mm. Because if you step into mm. eternity without yep. a personal relationship with God, you don't get another chance. Mm-hmm. Forever you're separated from God, and it's torment. It's torment in this life to be separated from God, and it's torment in eternity to be separated from God. There's no peace in this world that you can have in your soul that's lasting and fulfilling apart from the peace that comes to you through the saving relationship you have with Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us He, Jesus Christ, He Himself is our peace. All right, so with that said, Stephen, let's go to our third point. And we want to talk about eternal life in the Scriptures. And why don't you share uh, your understanding of, I think it was John uh, 7, 17, is that what it is? That's right, yeah. yeah. Going back to when I was in college, thinking through all that, what I shared previously about the heart issues, um, I happened upon John uh, 7 and started reading my way through John, when, and that was around the time I was saved. But I started in John 7, just kind of random, And one of the first things that hit me, this was about 11 years ago, was uh, 17 and 18. If any man will do his will, if any man is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He that speaks from himself is seeking his own glory, but he that seeks the glory of the one that sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. And so what stood out to me there was in verse 17, if any man is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether Mm. it is of God Mm. or whether I speak of myself. Mm. So before you can know God and even learn the Bible, you have to come with a willingness to do God's will. Mm. So you have to have a right disposition in your heart to receive the word, to receive Jesus' teaching, to obey it before you even listen. Mm. If, if you're not willing to obey before you even hear, mm. then you've missed the whole point. Because you'll take anything you learn and just keep it in your mind. But, but you have to have a heart ready to listen and, and ready to obey, willing to do his will. So again, it's in the heart. You can't even accept truth accept the law, accept the prophets or the Bible. The lawyer Mm. was dealing with the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. And and then we also are dealing with that plus the New Testament. You can't even begin to accept any of that until Mm. you have a willingness to obey in the heart in the first place. If if you're thinking, I'm going to listen and learn, and then I'll think about it, and then I'll obey it, you've, you've, you've started from the wrong assumption or reference frame and you have to get that heart humble enough 
you know, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. So true. So true. A couple of things come to my mind as Stephen shared those thoughts. You know, in the Bible, God does not ask people to repent. When you read about repentance in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says God commands people to repent. When it talks about the gospel, and the gospel is understanding what Jesus Christ did to save us from our sin, and I've already explained that several times, and through his death and through his burial and through his resurrected life, he's made it possible not only for our sins to be forgiven, he's made it possible for us to obey and overcome sin. And when he talks about believing the gospel in Thessalonians, It talks about obeying the gospel. He commands repentance, to Stephen's point, and he also talks about obeying the gospel. The gospel is not just agreeing intellectually with certain facts about Jesus Christ. There's obedience that comes with the gospel. Uh, When we talk about faith in Jesus Christ, it's obedient faith because Christ makes it possible for us to obey God. Christ makes it possible for us to live out the righteousness of God. Uh, In Titus, it says that uh, the grace that brings salvation teaches you, the same grace that brings salvation teaches you to deny ungodly lust and to live sober and righteous because you have the indwelling Son of God inside of you and the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of you so that now the righteousness of God can be made manifest in your life. And whenever we sin, it leads to death, it leads to separation, it it takes away the joy, it takes away the purpose of life, and it, it just takes us down to destruction. But when we obey God... When we obey God through the Holy Spirit's enabling power and through Jesus Christ's life within us, it's blessed. That's where the blessing is. It's in the life of Christ and allowing him to live his obedient life through us. And and part of that obedience, like Jesus said to him who has, more will be given. So if you're faithful and to obey with what you already know, Mm. then you'll come to know more about God. Mm. And that's the blessing that you go into a deeper relationship with the Lord as you obey at each step with what you already know. So the knowledge you have to have, this takes faith, but you have to let the knowledge stay out there and just focus on what you know now, obey. And then the Lord will add more oh, of himself so to you. So true, because a lot of people think, I, I can't live up to all this stuff. Well, that's true. Yep. But one day at a time, you know, one step at a time, you know, you respond to what God's showing you right now. And as you respond to that, he shows you more. If you respond to the light in obedient ways that God has given you, he'll give you, as Stephen just said, more light. And your your love for God will grow your, your knowing God will grow and your likeness to God will grow. You know, you'll be able to reveal the glory of God. As Stephen said earlier, our whole purpose in life is and, and getting sin right with God. You know, if we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, 
when we get saved, the glory of God's able to be manifested through our obedient life of our relationship with him. And, and getting back to what you mentioned even before uh, our session here about assurance of salvation, mm. you know, when you do make the Lord, you do come to take your greatest pleasure out of worshiping the Lord, obeying him, mm. having fellowship with him. That, that clears your heart. Mm. It's like what Jesus said, make the eye clean and then the whole body will be clean. That, mm. that eye is like your heart. Mm. If, once you make that heart, you're freed from the legalism, you're freed mm. from Satan's lies. Mm-hmm. And if you have a willing to obey, mm-hmm. you can discern if the teaching is coming from Satan or Jesus and you're free to follow Jesus and not be burdened by All right. <laughs> lies and half-truths and... Yep. Um, that that taking pleasure in the Lord from the heart frees you up. Amen. Amen. You shall know the truth. And Jesus said this, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Hmm. You don't lose anything. You gain everything when you're overcoming sin through the life of Christ. Let's move on to our final point. Now, we've talked about the law of God and eternal life. We've talked about heart issues and eternal life. We've talked about eternal life in the scriptures just now. And I just want to say, if anybody is ever saved and receives eternal life, it's because they're responding to the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. I've already said this verse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The devil doesn't want you reading the Bible. The devil doesn't want you understanding the Bible. The faith, uh, devil doesn't want you responding to the Bible. Uh, and that's why, you know, if you're hearing something preached from the Bible, he's right there wanting to steal it away from you so you don't think about it anymore. Because he knows if you think about it and respond to it, you can get saved. So I would encourage you not only to hit the pause button, and think about eternity, I would encourage you to hit the pause button and get you a Bible and open the Bible and ask God to open your heart to the understanding of the Bible as to who Jesus Christ is and respond to the gospel that's revealed in the Bible of how you can receive everlasting life. So pride and eternal life is our last point. Stephen, why don't you share first uh, what the Lord laid on your heart? Yeah, when Pastor first told me about our uh, time together and reading through this passage on the lawyer, well, logically, you know, I, I looked through the first 24 verses of Luke here in Luke chapter 10 to get the context. And the, the preceding 24 verses is, is mostly Jesus talking he talks judgment on the different cities where he did his miracles. He talks intimately with his disciples, how blessed they are to have the eyes which see the things that you see. I tell you, many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see, and they do not see them, to hear the things which you hear and have not heard them. He, he talks about In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babies. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Mm. 
All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no one knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son wills to reveal the Father. I mean, Jesus goes into some deep Mm. judgments on the cities and then Mm. explaining his relationship to his Father and how blessed his disciples are. I mean, he's opening his heart and talking and talking. Mm. You've known people that talk a lot. Mm. Um, I mean, Mm. Jesus isn't Mm. just wasting breath either. He's... Mm. And then the lawyer comes out of nowhere in verse 25. It's an, ab- an abrupt transition. Mm. And once the lawyer, the lawyer initiates the conversation, the lawyer kind of controls the conversation. Mm-hmm. He tempts Jesus, as, as Pastor mm. mentioned to me, you know, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the lawyer is testing God here. Mm. And... And Jesus, his response in the red letter version of the Bible, it's, it's two simple phrases. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the second phrase Jesus says is, you have answered correctly. Mm. Do this and you will live. Mm-hmm. So Jesus takes a completely 180 degree mm. change in attitude and speaking when the lawyer takes command of the conversation. Jesus just shuts up. <laughs> Uh, he he was he was talking 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 with mm. his disciples, but when it comes to the lawyer, he he goes quiet. He he doesn't say too much, um, and he lets and he doesn't take the conversation from the lawyer. He lets the lawyer lead the conversation, and he goes along with the flow. You know, and what the verse comes to my mind is um, that God gives grace to the humble. With the with the humble, he shows himself merciful, but with the proud, he shows himself shrewd or clever. Meaning, God God knows how to play with proud people, mm. just as much as they try to play on others mm. with their pride. Mm. Okay, that reminds me of uh, some verses in Proverbs. It ties in exactly with what Stephen just explained. It it talks about answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him. The very next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be steeped in his unbelief and not come out of it. Mm. So the Lord is uh, like a delicate brain surgery. He knows exactly what the intent of this man's heart is, and he answers him with very few words, knowing that uh, this is exactly what this man needs to see to understand the pride of his heart, the self-righteousness of his heart. And uh, the ra- he was a lawyer. He wasn't a lawyer in the sense of lawyers today. He was a lawyer in the sense of he knew the law of God backward and forward, mm-hmm. but he wasn't saved. Mm-hmm. He wasn't saved because he thought he could keep the law without God's grace in his life. He was a prideful, self-righteous man. And so that's why he was trying to entrap Christ, a perfect man, because uh, he was trying to find a way to cover up his own sin. Now, I want to read Luke 10, verse 17. This is part of the context that Stephen was talking about. The 70, that is the 70 that Jesus sent out to minister in the cities, the 70... Uh, disciples returned with joy and they said lord even the demons are subject unto us through thy name and notice what jesus says to his 70 disciples about pride 
Coach, pride is our biggest issue in life that keeps us from the grace of salvation, whether it's initially to be saved or whether it's continually after we are saved. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the Lord Jesus was sensing that his disciples had some pride issues here as far as a demon subject to them. Notice what he says in verse 18, right after what they said. He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Why did uh, Lucifer become Satan? Well, here's what he said. I will be like the most high God. Lucifer didn't want to be under the authority of God. He wanted to have equal authority with God in his own pridefulness. And when he had that prideful attitude, Lucifer became Satan. There was a fall of Lucifer before the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And that's why the devil showed up as a serpent and convinced Adam and Eve not to stay under the authority of the Word of God. And they decided to be prideful. And the devil said, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil if you eat that. God's holding out on you. And when they believed the lie of the devil, and they became, they made their own choice about the fruit, instead of what God said to do about it, obeying God, that's when sin came into the world. So please, 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 all of us, including myself, we need to constantly, constantly let God search us as far as any kind of pridefulness in our spirit, our attitude. It can grieve the Holy Spirit so quickly, quench the Holy Spirit so quickly. And also, I've had many times in my life, I had to go back and ask forgiveness of people because I acted in pride with my words. Acted in pride with my attitude. It's very painful to go back and ask forgiveness and and admit, you know, I was just a self-righteous, prideful man, and uh, I did not handle that conversation with you properly. I've had to do it multiple times, and uh, I'm speaking uh, uh, in the sense of we don't ever conquer this completely. We have to be sober had to be constantly alert. It tells us, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. Well, as soon as we have any kind of pride, remember it says in another scripture, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and what will happen if you're submitting to God? The devil will have to flee. So, and right before that, it talks about God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The devil knows when there's pride in our life, we're giving ground to him to work. So it's very important, whether it's coming to salvation initially or living in a uh, fellowship with God continually to deal with the pride issues in our life. May God bless each one of us that Stephen and myself and all of us can apply what God's Word says mm -hmm. and not necessarily what Stephen and I uh, have shared with you, what it says. You search the Scriptures and let God speak to you. God bless you. Mm -hmm.